I think, as I said, alluded to before, probably some of that, the ability to have attention to detailing in coaching and picking up subtle changes in sport. So for me, that applies to just being really clear and systematic in your process of screening in quotation marks, but just in assessing an athlete or the person in front of you. If you're looking at, say, hip range of motion and hip strength, but what balance does that have and what are you taking away from that and how are you then going to implement a program and change or to optimize? So I guess just doing those simple things well around being systematic in your assessment and attention to detail and coaching. Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm your host, Chap McLean, and today my guest is Nick Kane. We'll be discussing the key principles of being a physio in the AFL and continued development. Nick is a head physiotherapist at the Essendon Football Club and owner of Complete Balance Physiotherapy and Pilates in Maribyrnong and Tullamarine. He holds a Master's in Sports Physiotherapy from La Trobe University and is the Managing Director of the Sports Map Network, delivering relevant, practical, and evidence-based courses for experienced physiotherapists. Highlights from this episode, how to find the right fit for your high-performance team, the big rocks for sports physiotherapists that you must develop to work in elite sport, key principles to understand to increase athlete robustness, and how to know whether a screen or a marker is worth measuring or not. Let's get into today's episode with Nick. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Jack, thanks for having me, mate. Love what you're doing. Thank you. How's it to be on the other side of the podcasting uh, guest? Yeah, it's very host? nice. It's, uh, <laughs> it's nice. Less preparation and less hosting. So I'll just have a chat with you. So looking forward to it. Yeah, likewise, mate. For those that haven't heard what you're doing, you're doing a fair bit, obviously working in elite sport, imagining, managing a physio clinic as well as sports map. But do you want to talk us through how it all start for you and then maybe bridge the gap to what you're doing today? Yeah, mate, no worries. I guess brief rundown. As you mentioned, yeah, head physio, which I'm loving at the moment. I've got a complete balance physio, which is a clinic in Maribyrnong and Tullamarine now, located at the Essen Footy Club. And we've got an amazing staff and some tremendous physios there and podiatry and massage. So just love working with those guys. They're all fantastic operators. And so really lucky to have just like quality staff. And then Sports Map is a um it's an online and in-person learning platform around sports physio and rehabilitation. We run masterclass videos there that are deemed towards the more experienced sports clinicians, some different intakes and practical applications that I'll get along the platform, which I can chat to a little bit more later, um, and courses and, as you mentioned, some podcasts that are less regular than your ones, mate. And I guess where all that started, for me, being a physio, I was started off doing some sports science way back in Vic Uni, and it was actually, I wasn't too sure what I wanted to do as a career or where I was at. And I remember a mate, his name was James George Jensen, and he just one day walked in and said, yeah, I just got into physio. I'm going to start doing physio. And that was after the first year of sports science. And I was a bit put back by that. I didn't know that was possible. And I said, oh, that sounds pretty awesome. I'm, I might just do that. And then so for that year, just knuckled down with studying a few things and yeah, went to physio from there and studied in Perth where I was there and played footy for, for eight years over there and commenced sort of work in the physio space and did some physio work in the waffle as well. And then that timed nicely with a return back to Melbourne where I'm from and started working at Essendon. So as in the rehab role, which 
Started there for a couple of years and then worked as, uh, I guess, a 2IC physio for four years. And then here we are today and just balanced a little bit of the clinic work with, with the footy and it's been a really great experience. Awesome, mate. And you mentioned your friend there that opened up your thought to move sides from sports science to, to physiotherapy, but also been some strong influences from a, I guess, more sports physio point of view since working in elite sport over the last few years. Yeah, no, it's always a good question, always a, a good one to reflect on, certainly where your learnings come from. But I've been really lucky to work with some great physios across the board at Essendon predominantly. From the get-go, I had Moran Jones, who's now the head physio at Melbourne Storm, and Callum Ball, who is head physio at Cronulla Sharks at the moment after being at G- GWS for a few years. And both of those guys was a really great insight into um, the very good operators, but really strength-based physios. So kept things reasonably simple when it comes to rehab and not sort of down rabbit holes. And as a new physio coming into elite sport, probably thinking, seeing shiny things and trying to do different things, they were really good at just keeping things simple and pushing the players on to, to be really strong. Peter Blanche worked with for a year there, who then followed on to Brisbane. Obviously, Peter's known for his work around loading, kicked chronic predominantly, but just another guy that blended the science of managing pain and the athlete's emotion as well as a really great take on ensuring athletes have really high loads to create a more robust athlete that less likely to break down. So obviously some fantastic learnings from Peter over the year and then I still have a good connection with him to this day. And then probably more recently, guys like Dave Rundle work with who's just a great, great person, really diplomatic in the way he goes about his day-to-day operation as a physio, a measured, great hands-on therapist, really organized sports physio. So again, many learnings from him, I guess probably one of the guys who had the most influence on the way I practice as a physio, breaking things down was Edna King, having spent some time with him overseas and, and also worked through with an athlete or two with him and he's done some courses there at SportsMap and probably just the way he thinks but also the way he coaches, exercises, attention to detail on what he's trying to get from those has probably been the real game changer for me in how I was doing things to how I do it now with a little bit more systematic approach to the way I'd rehab certain things. And it was, and he's a, yeah, renowned for what he does. And as I said, probably had the biggest influence on the way I do different pieces um, day to day. And then I still think guys I've just worked with routinely, like Wadey, who we chatted about before, who did that podcast with the other day, it was great to first work with him at Essendon. Jezza Sullivan, who's a weights coach, Great start, Sean Murphy, Justin Crowe was at the club for a few years. It's high performance when I first started there. So all those guys have been really great. Alex Cajun now in the rehab space. So that's probably more professional standpoint. But you know, if I'd say to you, it'd be my wife Jess, who probably really made sure I'm generally taking things along nicely. So that's probably been the main influence I've to this day. Tom, it was what stood out to me it was a good blend between exposure to physios that you mentioned with a unique skill set and different strengths, like from strength-based physiotherapist and really valuing building robustness in athletes to someone who was more on the sports science side of things, managing their loads across the week. And then the importance of, of course, of the craft of a physio with treatment and diagnostics. Like for a physios listening in that might be studying or early on in their career, there's a fair bit to learn, particularly if you want to work in elite sport and you need to be across like you mentioned, from a rehab point of view, strength, conditioning, sports science, and then, all, of course, your physio craft. Where would you recommend starting with those different disciplines? Yeah, it's a good one. It's funny if it goes a different way to see the early physios that I work with that were really finesse about one or two little things around whether it was – and that would really influence the way I practice and change probably what I'm doing today. So thankful and lucky with the guys I have worked with through that time. If I was a younger physio now, I think – First and foremost, it's just about getting exposure. Like the greater amount of exposure you can have in a sports setting, 
the better. And we're firing it at the moment. And you'd like to see just the fact that someone has embedded themselves within a program, whether that's a, typically a semi-professional program, VFL, Waffle, TSE, or that's in the football sphere. But both to show that they've that they're keen and willingness to actually, because we know it's hard from the time point of view to get there in the afternoons and do that. So it shows an element of work ethic and passion, but it also gives you that exposure just to see lots of stuff and see more injuries and know how that sort of management system works around working with a number of these athletes, integrating with coaches and things like that. That's probably first and foremost. Tick off a few of the key basic courses that are out there around sports physio, whether it's the APA pathway or different sports courses that just nail down some of the key basic principles before maybe going down. There are some courses out there that might throw you down a different path around. I won't go into too much detail what they might be, but I think just your big rocks early would be my advice and and just get as much learning as you can off of people who you think in the industry or general physio as you can. So as much informal and formal PD and just gather as much information as you can. And over time, you I think you'll start to pull out of all that and then start to create the physio practitioner that is, is really you and, and then work from there. Yeah, yeah, great advice, mate. I think it's so easy in today's world with having the access to information like we do and to be able to collaborate, which obviously has its strengths. But like you mentioned, you can get caught up in the shiny things at times and might get caught up in things that you don't necessarily serve you at that time. Develop your big rocks first. So, as a physiotherapist, what would be those like key pillars, if you like, to be able to work in elite sport? Do you think while you are gaining experience at local community level or elite sport, what would be some key areas to knuckle down and get really good at? first before going into other different modalities. Yeah, uh, I think, yeah, as I said, alluded to before, probably some of that, the ability to have attention to detail in, in coaching and picking up subtle changes in sports. So for me, that applies to just being really clear and systematic in your process of screening in quotation marks, but just in assessing an athlete or the person in front of you. If you're looking at, say, hip range of motion and hip strength, but what balance does that have and what are you taking away from that and how are you then going to implement a program and change to optimize. So I guess just doing those simple things well around being systematic in your assessment and attention to detail and coaching then applies to, for mine as a physio, if you can't, if you don't know some of the basic principles around strength conditioning and working through that process of optimizing something that may be more isolated, let's say hip abduction strength, and then being able to then move that stream from if it's addressing a groin where does it go through then in the gym and having that as a process through that isn't clunky and isn't ends up underloading to a degree so basically in short knowing your way around the gym first and foremost and then clearly in sport i think as a physio decision making is paramount and that's where some of those early exposures in semi-professional sport probably give that level of exposure to where you become a key decision maker because of you might be the sole medical or practitioner that is there to collaborate with the coaches, being really clear in your systematic process and thought around decision-making. And for me, that's just taking time to get all the information you need from all the sources and from player and staff, other staff and coaches and making a really contextual decision that's on board with and then moving on from there. So I guess the process around that and knowing where you fit in the team in order to do that would be probably a couple of key ones. And always don't forget balance. I think just as a physio in sport and a physio in not just physio, but everyone who works in that sort of environment such as yourself in S&C and that just balance is really important. And even those names I touched on around Myron Jones and Callum Ball, brilliant education around 
finding balance because I think if you don't have that and can't set some boundaries around your work and be able to switch off from work and not be overthinking it all the time and is really important because otherwise you just get burnt out. That's something I really value in myself in the way I go about is it side of things and I'd encourage other guys to not get fully too ingrained in everything where it takes over their life. They say, yeah. It's a job, it's a great job, but they should be able to then do other things as well. Yeah, great advice, mate. Gems dropped all the way through there. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for sharing. Mentioned that you're hiring at the moment and we've probably answered that the question in terms of technical aspects that you look for and how to conduct yourself and being being able to be on the gym floor, be on the field and also being able to work on the bed. But what about the process of it? It's super competitive and always is for jobs. So that, has there been any applications or different methods that have really surprised you or maybe stood out where someone might have the same experience or same qualifications, but the way that they applied or maybe someone contacted you that would be a good thing for people to take on? Yeah, a couple of things I touched on already around, I guess, what we'd look for around their experience and a history of some CPD and what have you. But I guess when it comes down to it, you get some great applicants. And to answer your question in short, probably not where there's, I don't necessarily feel making extra contact or and that certainly doesn't hurt. But ultimately, there are a lot of good applicants out there who probably share a similar skill set and a similar experience level. And sometimes it will come down to finding the right person to fit our team. Like I, I truly believe in always hiring or try to hire and get people around uh, me as a physio who are better than me or at least make us better as a team. So not trying to, I guess, not trying to hire another person who's the same as me. I want to have someone who can add to us and be a bit different to myself or our other two physios, Jay Anderson and Bruce Connor. So that's when it might come down to it. It's about the personality and someone who can bring energy, but also fit our team nicely and add to it. That's a difficult thing because like a lot of industries, it might not be purely based on all the experience and work you did. It's just the right person, the right time to fit us. So I guess we'll get through an interview process and get them to present back to us on a few things and we'll go from there. Yep. Nah, thanks for sharing, mate. And going back to your journey, you mentioned how you traveled over to Perth to study and picked up some experience in the waffle and then obviously came back and worked your way up at Essendon now in a lead role. For those looking to get their first opportunity at the next level, whether it be from community semi-professional or semi-professional to pro, what would be some of your ways to, I guess, gain that first foot in the door when you haven't quite got a strong networking base necessarily? Yeah, it's a good one. And we talked about the pathway there about being, I guess, if you're in the pathway for long enough and in Victoria, apologies for those who don't involved in AFL football, it might be a different sort of stream of sport. But essentially, if you're involved in, in the pathway of whether it's TAC Cup, if that's what it's still called, into VFL or Waffle or Sandfall, and because if, if AFL is your ultimate where you want to get to within sport, if you're in that zone, then you're going to be, if you're around long enough, you will be able to network and there'll be networks and people you'll cross paths with. And then you'll get opportunities to reach out to people and get to meet them, know them. And I think that helps without doubt. If you know the hiring, person hiring on a personal level, you're going to put your ahead of other people, unfortunately, and that's probably just the way I think there's that component. There's the sports physio, sports masters pathway, which I think these days being such a competitive market to get into it, and if you're a younger physio and by young, probably under 40, you almost need to have done the sports masters just to get a look in a lot of the time just because... 20 people have done it and 20 people haven't, there's probably 20 you have are going to be ahead unless it's a really specialized role. Yeah, experience in the field, get to know people, maybe go down the sports master's path, start on top of all the learning, network where you can. Yep. And what role does screening and monitoring play when it comes to influencing AFL athletes and their training management? Yep. So I guess this is more based around referencing now we're working in AFL on a day-to-day and 
people often throw out screening or that sort of stuff a lot of the time. And sometimes I think that gets misrepresented as screening at the start of the season and look at lots of stuff and ends up draw and a filing cabinet or file these days and not much comes of it. And I think as a physio working, if you're semi-professional or elite, I think it's paramount where that sort of screening or monitoring, again, in quotation marks, fits. And from our end, it's about having knowing the change in what you need an athlete on a week-to-week basis and what may or may not indicate a response to their training. In my head and the way the system I would put things down to is your the primary prevention, secondary prevention, and tertiary prevention, and that comes from a, a trip model. But I think guys like Martin Wallen have talked a fair bit about to this, Paula Charlton, and even Matt Wallen, who recently has done some work in writing around this, to that from the research model to how it can be applied practically. So I recommend people to have a look through that primary references to prevention strategies that the whole group would get. High-speed running, everyone would obviously need to hit a quota of high-speed running per week, or it might be they do a certain set of Nordics or adductor loading or what have you that we know has good evidence base around reducing the risk mitigation of prominent injuries within football. So that primary, second prevention is, I guess, where I see probably the physio space sit, and that's where this monitoring space sits. So for instance, its ability to try to pick up pathology or early onset pathology before it becomes an issue or an injury or pain. Example being that is used regularly in sport is the groin squeeze, which may be used a day or two days post a game and monitoring the groin or adductor power output and flagging if you see either pain become part of that test or a drop in a certain amount of power. The same would apply to maybe some of Martin Wallen's work again around hamstring isometric pull, looking at whether a power, a re- reduction in power or performance output in these tests on a week-to-week basis. And there's some other things you may look at from hopping or and some numbers around that as well. So I guess within secondary prevention, you're looking at saying, oh, can we pick an injury up before it occurs or before it becomes a prominent thing? And I guess where physio sits and in, in my mind, where physio sort of should or can own the space in the sense of those markers that we may pick up from those tests are not decision-making tools at all. They're purely just conversation starters to say, hey, what's going on there? Your groin squeeze is down. Let's have a quick look at you. Run through a systematic process of assessment and tests and take into account where that person's at, what they've been doing, and the ability to do that reasonably quickly and make a decision. Actually, he's just a little under-recovered. He's fine to keep training or he might need a little bit of hands-on work, he or she. They might need to just do a little bit of strengthening or activation work, or this is actually looking like he's actually developing some early onset groin pain. Let's change the path of what's going on here. We've picked it up early and hopefully prevented injury that could have been there. So that's where I see physios really taking hold of that and following those those flags through the week and through each week to make sure that those numbers are returning to baseline, that then we can confidently say, well, he's recovered well and we're away. And the final part of that those, that three model is the tertiary prevention, which really applies to just limiting or trying to mitigate the risk of an injury occurring during rehab or post-rehab and whether that's a re-injury of the same muscle or something totally different. And that's how, obviously, you're trying to account for that both in your loading program throughout a rehabilitation. So example of that being a common hamstring injury, um, obviously, you need to load the hamstring tissue itself so it's strong and throughout the rehab and also you would probably apply some work through the adductors or what have you so you're not going to hopefully pick up some adductor soreness post their return to play and then the monitoring component of that again some good evidence around your range of motion and palpation and strength markers of that hamstring from 
the first seven days or post their first return to play, if they flag, then that's something to really pick up and maybe take into account about how you're going to program for the week. Bit of information there, but I think if that sort of comes out in process each week, your attention to detail on where we're picking things up, then I think that whole screening and monitoring component is a really important space for us. And when practitioners are coming together and thinking either maybe they're new to a club or they're reviewing their practices from last year and I guess throwing up on a whiteboard with their screening and markers, what's effective, what's not, what are some ways that you go about filtering things that you're definitely making it, but they've got strong purpose and there's value in, in testing the athletes and then what are some markers that also ways that will influence your decision-making on or maybe this screen where we're getting something from it, but we're probably not going to lose by, by taking it out of the program. Yeah, definitely. I think first and foremost, it's just, does it influence your practice? Yes or no? If you feel it does influence your practice, then I think it's fair. And I think if you're thinking, for me, your big rocks about what are the main injuries in AFL and entering scarves, Brian would be the mainstay, obviously, and he's probably a, a part of that. But if ultimately as well, when there's 40 plus players and you, it's difficult to get that really quality touch point with everyone regularly. So you want to attest that are sensitive enough to pick up change, um, but also not overly sensitive where everything's flagging all the time. So you do want some degree of sensitivity. So certain tests will flag, but the conversation can be had and you're grabbing the player and you're going through it. And then it's purely up to your process around decision-making and keeping at the forefront of your mind that you want the players out there training and being available. It's not our job to be risk adverse and not train because you think there might be something there. You've got to be really clear that First and foremost, they're training unless there's some really clear evidence not to. So for me, keeping it very streamlined, keeping it very minimal, minimalistic in how many assessments it may be, yeah, is at the forefront of my mind. And when reviewing it each season, that's the process we'd go through. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And what about from a rehab point of view or reconditioning? What are some overarching principles that you see from a rehab point of view? Yeah, obviously you could talk through rehab principles and processes and for ages it could be and people do and really hone in on that and but i guess trying to keep it pretty succinct and sharp for our chat today i guess i touched on it before but correcting having correct load for the injured tissue with respect to pathology early is important so whether that's calf or hamstring knowing when and how to load that tissue to get one optimal repair but to some resilient around that tissue that we're not going to encounter the same sort of issues again first and foremost i think being really onto correcting what you think are the contributing factors to that injury. So even if it's theorized that, all right, we know around the hamstrings that the importance of the lumbar pelvic control or it might be a hip extension strength deficit, if they're showing those deficits within your assessment, then it would make sense to me that it should be corrected and that should be embedded within the program. Certainly keeping the athlete going where you can in all sense. So try not to shut an athlete down for a lengthy period or any period if it can be helped. And even if that's not running, I don't want to be too hamstring specific here, but I guess running early from a hamstring, running a day two or day three, if it's a low level hamstring is generally completely, if it's another injury, then it might be purely about just keeping them mentally stimulated or it might be working on your cross-training modalities or whatever and just keeping them sharp. Having really clear and consistent communication that is always embedded and that's mainly from i think in sport athletes will often seek information from lots of different people that's their a lot of their the way they are and they want to be the best they can so they feel that getting more information is better and that can often cloud where they're at so if they're getting conflicting information from the rehab coach the physio to the strength coach they'll actually become 
frustrated and they'll be feeling a little bit lost. So I think having a really clear point in contact about where the athlete is at and where they're at and what are their key markers is really important that I guess the staff working with them are also really clear about their comms and what they're on. That's probably point three or four. I think I touched on the monitoring earlier and this is, I guess, in physio space, but also you guys in the gym, but monitoring and tracking their response to their training. So that is, all right, if it is a hamstring strength, what are we tracking as their strength to see that come up and getting some objective numbers if it's an isometric test or it might be an exercise in the gym even that represents and shows that they're actually tolerating more load or their capacity is coming up along with if it's a groin, for instance, we're tracking their power output and if that's dropping after their first change direction session, they haven't responded, what do we do from that? So just having a nice clear process about what we're looking at each time we assess and review to be able to press up their loads or have to hold them a little bit and then having really clear and basic criteria around what they've got to achieve and what they've got to tick off. So I guess when I say basic, I'm basic in probably the communication to the athlete. So it's really clear and simple in their mind. It might be a little bit more complex around what we're doing as clinicians and staff, but I think just giving them the basics and bare bones that they know in their head, I've just got to do one, two, and three rather than five, six, and seven, eight. And then finally, I guess paramount is just getting back to playing and performing as soon as you can, but in a mode that's safe and safe meaning that they just don't get re-injured ideally. That would be my sort of key frameworks around some of the things I would work closely with in the rehab space. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, mate. And for those listening in that are physiotherapists that, that want to work in the AFL, we touched on off air and went coming together with your topic, something that you're passionate about is continued development. Do you want to, before we go into maybe some of the things you're doing at the clinic and also sports map, but to start with, why is that something that you think is so important for physios working in the AFL to strive for continued development. Yeah, obviously we're in a, a setting where in any sport or elite sport, not just AFL, the expectation is that we're, the, we're leading, we're able to provide the very best service we can for the players. And now if sometimes what you don't know, you don't know. So your ability to just make sure you are consistently learning and seeing what's out there. So when something doesn't quite work, how it usually works or your usual pathway of what you would do isn't working, what other sort of tools do you have that you can apply? So I think the fact that working in the sports are privileged wherever we're at, and I'm very lucky to be doing that, but I certainly don't feel for one moment that you can stop learning and stop reaching out for new information. And because I think as I talked about earlier, the more exposure, the better, but also if you can fast track that exposure by picking up as many things you can, you're only going to be able to help the guys more and get better results when you need to. So I think it's yeah, a really important part of sport, but also as people in their, in their working environment, in their career. Yeah. Introduce us to SportsMap, mate. Is that a, that's a good segue for it? With your passion for continual <laughs> development, is that how SportsMap came to be? Nice. Thanks, mate. Nice plug. With uh, sports map, but yeah, look, sports map is it's certainly like yourself. I think it started as a with like a pro, largely a passion thing for me. It was, and I, I talk about this at the courses that we run occasionally about how it all started, and it was purely just based on a real desire for me to learn more and get as much exposure to sports physio as I could, and I wanted to see more practical things. I wanted to delve a little bit deeper into certain conditions, and the courses we're going to back then were not that, and probably a bit bland and a bit dry. And then we just started creating our own course, essentially. So we got Anthony Hogan, who's a groin expert over to Perth, and put a course together there and uh, with him, and it just went from strength to strength from there. And it grew a little again when I moved to Melbourne and ran some different courses. We've had some fantastic sort of speakers 
across the years from Eddie King I mentioned, Jordan Managuchi, who's a real hamstring guru, to the likes of Steve Saunders, Andrew Wallace, Craig Burdham, list goes on really. So it's been really great exposure into to that over the time for me and probably more recently I've taken another step forward where I guess I probably I mentioned Eddie King and some learnings I had with him and I certainly feel with the privilege and work I've got to do at Essendon, as much as sometimes you feel like you're on top of rehab or a condition with a person, I think the opportunity to take the athlete somewhere else with a, to an expert in a particular field, whether that be attendance, it might be Peter Maliara, Stu Cook, Ebony Rio, might be some foot stuff with Stu Imer, Groin, and the King and the like. And whenever I've been able to do that, I actually look for that opportunity because I feel like you just get so much from it and it might be from a learning point of view, or it reassures the athlete, but either way, it's great learning from us. And we've tried to create a platform that I guess gives other physios and rehab professionals that sort of insight. And that's where our masterclass platform that we have now comes into it. So that is the expertly filmed one-on-one videos with an expert in that particular field, like some of those names I mentioned there, along with Alice Contouris, who's Australian physio for the cricket with lumbar stress injuries, Andrew Mosley around hip and groin. And they basically take an athlete or a person through those that same rehab pathway that you would if I took an athlete to them from how they assess an athlete, what they're looking for, what the rehab exercises are, how they're coaching that, how they're prescribing that, when are they running, how are they running, and things like that. So they're all a little bit different. They're, the Each masterclass is unique in itself and it's because you know, it comes from a practitioner or the expert really showing us their way. And I think that's it's brilliant because courses are fantastic and I love them and we run them and it's a great ability to network and see things firsthand and meet and chat. But sometimes what you don't get from courses, especially the conferences, enough of that and clinical side of things. So these are full of that. Yeah, we're pretty proud of the content that's coming out and the presenters that are a part of it. So I think it's a great learning learning resource and anyone out there who loves that stuff should have a look themselves and hopefully they can get some really good learnings from some of the content there. Yeah, so... For those listening in, that is something that they're interested in. What's the best place to get in contact to find out when the next masterclass is and how to book? Yep. Oh, the masterclass. So masterclass platforms at sportsmap.com.au. It's it's a be at a become a member just for the year and you get access to all the videos all at once. And you'll see some courses there as well on the website. So the main one being Jordan Managuchi from Spain. He's doing a couple of courses here in Melbourne and Sydney. Early next year, we've got probably a couple of new courses to announce coming out soon, which are exciting. And you can listen to, a, as I said, a podcast that uh, is far less regular than yours. But there's a few podcasts there as well. But more, yeah. we probably hone in on, on some different injuries and some rehab and things like that. Some easy learnings as you drive to work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, make sure to check it out, guys. And if you're driving, we'll make sure to add the links in the show notes. So once you park your car, you can easily access them. But for those that are, like you said, in the getting yourself in and getting experience and then making the most of their time outside of their sport, work, learning externally as well. How do you balance between the two, learning with, off your colleagues, but then also learning externally with your athlete? Yeah, some of that has come through already. A little around the fantastic learnings you get from people you work with and you know, from the strength coaches to the psych and dietitian to the other physios. I'm constantly learning off the guys at work. As I said, Jay Anderson, Bruce Connor, other physios, I still learn off them. Brady Green was with us last year. Tremendous resource. I think Connor Daly you had on one of your podcasts recently and him and Murph and the guys. So I'm constantly learning off everyone, the doctors, Pat Sunderland and Brandon Morton. So very lucky to have great resources to always and build off there. Bruce Reed a number of years ago. It was a fantastic person to learn from for me. And yeah, as I said, I think still... As much as that's an essential part and 
to push myself to then still get other insights from people outside our walls, I think is great for me. It promotes like a time for reflection on exactly what I'm doing. And it's hard to do that when you're busy year on year or throughout the season. So sometimes the ability to stop and have someone critique your work is a great way to reflect on what you're doing. It sparks a lot of thought and motivates motivates you to push on and, and try to get better because you see some areas that you need to get better at. And I guess for me, I do that via whether that, you know, occasionally using some second opinions or getting someone in to present to us, a phone call, listening to podcasts so as well, certainly reading just some articles and things like that. Often I just scroll through Twitter and see what you like from some of the new research coming out is these days. Easiest and best way to get access to some of that stuff. Hard to fit it in at times, but in at least a couple of times a week, I throw a podcast on or have a bit of a read of something. That's It just keeps it ticking along. So it's almost just a part of the routine now. And then for when it's a significant change in philosophy, do you hold and wait until sort of an end of year time to discuss that with the department? Or is there a way that you feel that you can actually transition that into put into practice straight away? How do you mean there? Is that in, if someone came in and had something that was different? Is that what you're sort of referring to? Yeah, I guess maybe if you're getting some external advice from a player that's injured and there might be a hamstring injury and it's just different management to what's been done in the past, do you feel yeah, you I'm, go with your gut there and just act straight away what's best for the athlete or is it something where at times you have to hold and respect how the department's gone in the past? Yeah, I think uh, it's certainly a balance, isn't it? I think certainly if you're getting some input, ultimately you're the, not the gatekeeper, but it's your job. It's your, you're employed to make sure that athlete gets the best care, the best program, the best service, and you can get inputs to it externally. And I think that's helpful, but it doesn't necessarily mean you need to take every component of it and change the way you do things. I think you've got to really back your own program in and back what you're doing which I think we do. And then if you can add little bits here and pieces there that sort of optimize that, then I think year on year for me, it's not so much about it's rare that something would come in and change the way you do things, but it might be subtle variances or small additions here or ch- slight changes there that just evolve in the way you do things year on year. So I think I've been in the club now for eight years and certainly feel that every year it evolves. Like four years ago, I would have had like a hamstring rehab template and it would be different now. And that wasn't bad then, but I think just thinks it's better now. And same with the calf. So I think it was good then, but I think it's better now. And that's taking in a lot of the different inputs to from people we've worked with to other people to just learning to just developing as a physio over time. Yeah, I think it's just that evolution. And moving to average more of the business side of things, how do you go about, you talk about life balance. Obviously, it's a constant challenge for those working elite sport, let alone when you've got your own two-side hustles going on at the same time. How do you go about yeah, balancing life outside of work? No, I just had a smile with my wife, who's my my old daughter over there. I think the balance is pretty good. I certainly, I think the balance is pretty good these days. It certainly adds some loads where you end up doing a couple of things on a Sunday here and there. But and certainly, three or four years ago, I'd say the balance probably wasn't right. Whereby I probably was working too much and getting the clinic going and things like that at that point in time and working. I think the main thing, my priority first and foremost, one hundred percent, is that I'm more is around my wife and my daughter. So that. The number one for me. So that needs to maintain a priority. And there are challenges at times to make sure you can make sure that stays from a time, gets all the time that you need because you need to obviously at times go to work and do the things. But I think I'm getting better at it every year and should continue to get better at it. But yeah, I feel like it's pretty good at the moment. I have ability to switch off from things pretty easily and switch back on pretty quickly. And I think, as I said, just having some nice boundaries at work around when I'm on and when I'm off is 
really helpful with acid. I love the work there. I've seen people get really, where it really consumes them and that's all they can really think about and it sort of starts to take over. So thankfully that hasn't been the case and I've just continued to enjoy going to work. So it's for a moment. Yeah. And no doubt like to achieve what you have to put in the work and put in the hours. So I'm sure reflection there's periods of time where you, like you said, you just got to get it done and put, put in the time setting things up. But in terms of boundaries for those, I guess, developing skills to be able to switch off, like you said, to so you can be the best practitioner you can be as well as the best husband and family member. What are some important boundaries that you've brought in that if you've found are effective? Pretty simple with work. It's just I like to do some exercise before work and I have a start time and that's my start time, essentially. I like to, if someone comes in and if, I have, if I'm starting at 8 o'clock, then for me, I'm starting at 8 and I'll base my day around that. I often think back to Myron Jones, one of the first physios I mentioned a couple of times. Him and Bully used to just go for lunch every day at the cafe and a few of the boys would come through and I'm like, oh, where are the physios? They're never here. Like, it's lunchtime. Like that. And he's and I'd tell him, I said, mate, the boys are, are complaining that the physios aren't there at lunch. And he goes, mate, every other job in the world, maybe a few expletives in there, get a lunch break, mate. The blokes can wait. And he's like, mate, if you don't set some boundaries in this game, they'll eat you up. They'll just eat you up. So, mate, go and have your lunch, sit and have coffee and relax. And I don't necessarily take up the lunch breaks, but for me, it's maybe just at that start and a sort of finish time where I'm keen to get home by is probably the main one now. Yeah, good one. Sound advice and nice and easy for people to put to practice straight away. Yeah. We'll move into start to wrapping it up, mate, and onto the personal side. Pet peeves, do you have any from a professional point of view, things that annoy us? I sent that question through. Not really, to be honest, at work. Maybe a few years ago, I'm a bit of a stickler for long and unproductive meetings, but it doesn't really happen too much these days. Things are going pretty well there, but yeah, a few years ago, we're pretty patient in some long meetings, but uh, we're pretty sharp these days, so pretty happy. And what about favourite way to spend a day off? Pretty simple, I think, just hanging out with Jess in Georgia, and uh, if it was sunny and there's a beach involved that adds to it and maybe a beer or a coffee at some point in time would be an ideal day. But the main stuff, just getting a bit of exercise in and hanging with those two girls and relaxing is pretty nice. Yeah, that sounds good, mate. Well, thank you so much for jumping on and sharing with us not only how to work in, in elite sport from a physiotherapy point of view, but rehab as well and how to manage a business and life outside of it all. On the horizon, mate, what are you excited about for the rest of 2022 and what 2023 brings. Thanks for having us. It's been good to have a chat with you. Now, 2023, just a few things. I will, Georgia, daughter who's six months, as you have a newborn mate, it's a very exciting time. So just looking forward to seeing her sort of grow and hanging out as much as I can. You've got through the hardest part, first six months. Yeah, <laughs> and then other than that, no, caught on the business front and the work front of the Essen, always excited for another year at Essendon to try to, just do the best we can. And when I talk about we, I'm mainly talking about our, the way our program is from a physio, medical and high performance. And every year, just trying to make sure that's the best we can do to put the players in there, the best spot they are so they can do their thing. And then it's always, so as I said at the start, complete balance. We've got an awesome team of physios and I might go through all, all their names, but love working with them and just trying to but upskill them as quick as we can, both via, I say, means, external and internal methods. But then, yeah, sports map should just hopefully tick on. We've got a nice trip planned to Europe for some filming of some masterclasses and things with some really awesome practitioners. So that'll be fun and exciting and some more great content. Yeah, I think that's a bit of a snapshot. For the parents listening in of young athletes, footballers, or even the athletes that might need a tune-up or an assessment. What's the best place to get in contact? We mentioned SportsMap website as the Balance oh. Clinic got a different way of getting in contact. Book a session. Yeah, all, all the plugs, yeah. CompleteBalancePhysiotherapy.com.au is the website. So Maribyrnong Telemarine can book online and 
and go from there. Yeah, and I hope I mentioned to you earlier, I think you're looking for an SNC coach down at Upway Tigers, which is my local club and good mate of mine's the coach there. So I said, I'd, uh, if I can throw an extra caveat in there that whoever takes that job for you, I'll take them into Essendon for a day and they can yeah, get around our strength coach and he doesn't know that yet and high performance and physio for the day. So it's a little bit of an extra to hopefully get someone down there at the Tigers for 2023. Nah, thank you, mate. That's a massive opportunity. So you heard it first. We'll definitely, yeah. I'll put the word out, but for those listening to the podcast, we're pretty eager to sign someone up. Preseason training starts on the 16th for the Tigers. So make sure to get in contact. That's next Wednesday. So this podcast comes out. For those listening in live or watching the recording, get in contact. Is that opportunity will get lapped up pretty quickly now that you get a day with Nick and the team. So yeah, take up that opportunity. And for those that want to get in contact with Nick as well, we'll add in all the links in the show notes. Thanks again, Nick, for jumping on and thank you everyone for tuning in. If you tuned in halfway through, make sure to watch the whole episode on our YouTube channel and our next live chat is with Carmen Colliver next Wednesday, the 22nd of November at one o'clock. I'll see you guys then. Thanks again, Nick. Legend, mate. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as Q&A segment, aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes yeah, game changes, whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that, um, you wish you either knew or did, um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. 
Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear, of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and i probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it would be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.